and I start committing crimes to fund my addiction. I, I break into houses and I break into cars and storage units. And, and you know, I didn't just steal people's property. Randy, let's get this out there. I mean, I've got victims all over the place mm. out there. And I did the crimes. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't just steal people's property when I broke into their homes. Randy, I stole people's sense of security. Oh, yeah. And right. anybody out there that's been the victim of a home invasion right. or burglary right. or break-in, you know what I'm talking about. You Someone live, you like live with me, that every day then. Yeah, someone like me stole something from from you. And, and it's like, look, I know my victims, man, some of them will never recover from the stuff that I did to them. I was a bad guy. Hi there, and welcome into a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. Very excited about this week's podcast guest. Usually, we feature some big name in the entertainment industry or celebrated newsmaker, but we're giving you something extra special this time. This week, you're going to meet a guy who's a drug addict, a convicted burglar who served time in a Texas state prison, and a former star quarterback who is now one of the most sought-after inspirational and motivational speakers in the country. Damon West has a message that everyone needs to hear, but especially our active-duty military and our veterans. We're honored to have him right here on Celebrity Salute. He's a former felon. He was in prison. He's been addicted to about every drug. And uh, he stole things from people and basically destroyed his life. Uh, we thought he'd be a perfect guest for this program. And no, the real story is that this guy <laughs> is an amazing, oh my gosh, what an amazing story this is. Damon West is with us, probably the most sought after motivational speaker in the country, maybe the world. Damon, how are you? Randy, I'm great, man. And I love your introduction, man, because now your guests are wondering. What is Randy throwing at us today? <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and, and I got to tell you, man, I, I have interviewed uh, so many celebrities. I mean, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, you name Matthew McConaughey, you name it. Uh, this is the most intimidated by uh, by you uh, that I've ever been uh, with anybody because your message is so great, and I want to get this right. You know, it's one of these things where uh, I, I, could, I could appear somewhere, and I've been speaking all my life, and never get nervous. But if you ask me to speak at a church, well, that's that's when the sweat, sweaty hands and palms start. And it's one of those, man, because I, this message is so perfect for our audience uh, because it's active duty military, veterans and their families who all need to hear this, uh, especially when they transition out, because that's basically what you did. You transitioned out of your old life. And if we can, let's just start at, at the very beginning, because you're from Texas. You, you had a great uh, pair of hands. You played uh, football and got very good at it, right? Yeah, that's right, Randy. You know, I, I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas, down in southeast Texas, where Louisiana and Texas meet in the, in the corner of the Gulf Coast down there. Uh, I came from a great family, too, Randy. I, I, you know, I tell you all the time, I tell people all the time, I didn't come from a broken home. My, my mom and my dad are still alive. They just celebrated being married for 54 years. Wow. So I had, yeah, I had every advantage in life. I was a, came from a great home. I had great grades. I went to great schools. I was a great athlete. I was a star quarterback in Texas. And, and back here in Texas, man, we love our high school football. Absolutely. Just like I know a lot of places in the South, we love our football. And I was the man. I was a three-year starting quarterback for a 5A school. I got a scholarship. Played Division One college football at the University of North Texas, and and by the time I was twenty, I was a Division One starting quarterback. I mean, it, this is back in the in the mid nineties, man. They didn't have twenty year olds starting for a D one team, right? And, and Randy, I thought I had arrived, man. My head was this big, and, <laughs> and I had life by the horns. But life, God has a way of giving you these days that I call fork in the road days, brother. And these days are days <laughs> oh, yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna get knocked down, hit so hard. When you get back up and dust yourself off, the world looks different. Things are in different places. But you're going to make a choice at these fork in the road, these important days. The right choice to go the right way, the wrong choice to go the wrong way. And in 1996 against Texas A&M, I go down to the third play of the game, and my football career is over. Mm. And when I get up to this fork in the road in life, my identity is gone with my football career. Because I've made the mistake that so many people make. And I want to talk to your audience directly on this. I wrap my identity up. I wrap my identity up into something external. 
And we cannot mm. do that because our identities have to come from within. Our identities are not something we do. It's not our job. It's not the uniform we wear. Right. It's right. something from within right. us. And when we don't put our identity into the, being within us, we run the risk of losing ourselves along the way. And, and, I, and I speak to military groups. I speak to bases, Army and, and Marine bases all over America. And I talk to soldiers and I talk to Marines. I talk to, to people in the service about this very thing right here, because your identity is who you are. It's well, about and, being a servant leader or whatever you make it and, be. And Damon, you know, you make another great point here. And, and let me just kind of uh, fill in a gap uh, between what, what you went through in a military, because what 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 else uh, happened? You, you lost your identity, but you also lost your mission. And that's what happens with a lot of military when they transition out is because they had this great mission. They were doing something every day that they loved. They were protecting our country. They were doing their duty. And then all of a sudden it was on. It was it, it's it's done. And that was kind of like you. Right. Absolutely. And I've never heard it put like that. But Randy, that that is so true, because I told my dad, my dad's a sports writer, you know, for 50 years, he was a sports writer. And, and I was a football player. And we had this amazing bond because of sports. And and once football was gone, my identity was gone with it. But it's because I put so much into football, man. I, you know, I was not the biggest guy when I played sports, but I would you couldn't outwork me. And I became the best at what I did because I put so much effort into it. I didn't find anything else on when football was was gone in 96. I couldn't find anything else in life to pour myself into right. like I did the game of football. Right. I lost my mission. I've right. never heard it said like that. Right. Yes, my mission was gone. And Randy, here's the scary part is that it would take me on a journey to find my mission again because I was so I used so many drugs to deaden the pain from that. I put chemicals in to change the way I felt. Mm. I did not deal with life. This is so good. On life's terms. Because I was not, I, I couldn't find a new mission. And, and my, I've got my mission now, but that's what we're going to talk about today. The road that I had to go down to find a new mission, man. And if we can stop even one person that's listening to this oh. from having to go down any of that road, we've done our mission today. That, that, that happened, yeah, absolutely. And that happened so many times, Dave. And when you lose that mission, so, uh, and, and a lot of people turn to drugs or alcohol or, or something else to fill that void. And you did the same thing. What what got you into drugs and, and how deep did you get? Yeah, you know, the first drug, I would say, if we're going to go back to the beginning, the genesis of it, um, when I was 10, I started drinking my dad's beer out of the fridge. And that was the first drug. Yeah, 10. You know, here's the deal, too. I, I, I say the drug, my, my gateway drug was alcohol because it's the first drug ever. And, and alcohol is a drug. I mean, it, and sure. let's be honest, if you're right. 10 years old drinking it, now you're doing criminal behavior because you're not allowed to. But that was the gateway. After that, it was marijuana. And, and I didn't get into more hardcore drugs until after my injury in college. Mm. That's when I started putting in more stuff to dead the pain, cocaine, ecstasy pills. But I graduated from college in 1999 from University of North Texas. I went on to work in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president of the United States. In 2004, I'm in Dallas training to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, wow. UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. But Randy... Since we're talking about it like this, I still didn't have a mission. That's the whole thing. I'm listless out there and I'm susceptible to anything. And I'm putting in the drugs to change the way I feel. And one day in 2004, I'm passed out of sleep at work at UBS, one of the biggest banks in the world. Oh, I'm yeah. in Dallas. And this other broker comes up. He sees me sleeping. He wakes me up. He's visibly shaking. He's like, Damon, wake up. He said, you cannot sleep on a job like this. He said, man, the stock market's open. You're messing with people's money. He said, they will fire you if they catch you sleeping here. He said, come on down to the parking garage. I have something that's going to pick you up. So, Randy, I go to the parking garage with this guy, and and, and I think we're going to do some cocaine because that's what I'm into at the time is right. cocaine. But when we get into his car, he hands me this glass pipe with these crystal rocks in it, and I've uh, never seen a glass pipe before. Uh, and I'm like, man, what is that? And he's like, Damon, just relax. He said, it's crystal meth. He said, you're going to love wow. this stuff. Oh, Randy. Man, Randy, truer words have never been spoken because I did. I fell in love with crystal meth that day. Oh I tell audiences all the time, especially military audiences, this stuff, this meth, this is the most evil, most destructive, oh. most addictive drug ever created by man. The stuff is made in a lab. It's made to get you hooked. Right. I smoked it one time, instantly hooked Boom. just like that. And I'm going to tell you something too, Randy, because I think a lot of your audience, I, I know everybody struggles in life. Everybody struggles with something. But I know your audience struggles and, and and there's going to be people out there that people out there that are struggling with with addiction 
drug and alcohol, maybe addiction to something you should be watching on the Internet. And maybe they don't even know it's, it's addiction yet, right? Absolutely. But it's something that takes you away. I'm going to tell you how you can decide whether or not you have an addiction to something. Yes. Is this. I'm an addict. Today, I have a program recovery. I'm in AA. That's how I deal with my addiction. But I'm going to tell you something. When I'm in my addiction, just like any other addict on any, anything they're addicted to, addicts give up their goals mm. to meet their behaviors. Normal people give up their behaviors to meet their goals. Not an addict. Wow. They cannot control the fact. Yeah. And they give everything away for it. And that's exactly what I did in my life. I gave up all my goals. I gave up the mission to meet the behaviors. Right, right. And, and along the way, your family, your friends, your job, and eventually your freedom, right? Absolutely. I mean, it took me 18 months from the first hit of that pipe of meth to be living on the streets of Dallas, working on Wall Street, down to living on the streets. Oh. And I'm homeless, and I've, got, I've lost everything but this addiction that's getting bigger and bigger. And I start committing crimes to fund my addiction. I, I break into houses, and I break into cars and storage units. And, and, you know, I didn't just steal people's property. Randy, let's get this out there. I mean, I've got victims all over the place mm. out there. And I did the crimes. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't just steal people's property when I broke into their homes. Randy, I stole people's sense of security. Oh, yeah. And right. anybody out there that's been the victim of a home invasion right. or burglary right. or break-in, you know what I'm talking about. You Someone live, you like live with me, that every day then. Yeah, someone like me stole something from, from you. And, and it's like, look, I know my victims, man, some of them will never recover from the stuff that I did to them. I was a bad guy, Randy. I didn't physically hurt anybody. No one was ever hurt. There's no weapons ever used. No right. one's even home right. during my crimes. But it doesn't lessen the severity of the fact that I stole people's sense of security, Randy. Damon, I was a bad guy. Damon, listen, I, 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 I so love everything you're saying because, uh, and I've heard you speak before, uh, you have no excuses. You have no, none. I mean, that's what I love about uh, what you say the most is you, you don't you don't lean on anything. I mean, you just you just have no excuses, and you're so honest, and 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 you're so accountable to yourself. But the other thing that I I, I take from you for our audience is the fact that you were in this position, right? You were you were a great stock bro a broker. You were uh, living a life over here. You're doing your job, and then you're homeless. So. You know, somebody in our audience might be uh, a Medal of Honor recipient, okay? A Medal of Honor recipient. They might have uh, uh, received the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, and then they're homeless. And that's exactly kind of where, where you were. Absolutely. I mean, in the, the top of the mountain, I mean, I mean, you're talking about people, you know, it's hard to even compare, really, in my mind, the, the plateaus and the successes I was reaching in life, even when I was missionless, with someone who has won the Medal of Freedom, the Medal of Honor, right. the, the Bronze Star, right. uh, you know, a Purple Heart. These are real heroes. And but those heroes can become homeless, too, because. They yeah, Hero, heroes to homeless. I mean, it, that happens all the time. And and all the time. And I hear from uh, from folks all the time that say, you know, I, I look back and I see what I did and I saved a village and I and I and I you know, I put up uh, five churches and, and schools and and then I was homeless. And that's exactly the, the point that you're making. Absolutely. And, and the thing about it is, is that we, we have to realize that everybody we encounter in life is struggling with something. We are all mm -hmm. struggling. Um, but the, the, the way that I tell people all the time, and especially, you know, because I, I want to touch on this some more later on, because I learned a lot about suicide mm -hmm. whenever I was in prison. Yeah, yeah. But we have to find ways to get outside of ourselves because when we are stuck in this mess of our lives and we, we just fold inside and all we see is the negative, we can lose sight of what our potential really is. And, and I'm going to tell you something, Randy, our potential is met when we find ways to serve other people, mm. servant leadership, oh, helping man. other people do so their trouble. Because when, 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 I, when I started becoming a servant leader in my life, this is a, later in the story because I'm not there yet when right. I'm living on the streets right. of Dallas. When I started becoming a servant leader in my life, I started looking for ways to help other people. That's when my life got better because now I'm pouring myself into someone else. I'll give you a story and we'll jump back around to it. When I got out of prison and my sponsor in AA, he warns me. He said, you're about to go back to prison. And I'm like, man, I just got out. How am I going back in? <laughs> yeah. Don't tell and me that. Said, yeah, he said, because you're living inside yourself. He said, Damon, you're so selfish right now. You're living inside yourself. And 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 I'm like, well, and his name, I was calling Ray for his anonymity's sake. 
I said, Ray, look, man, I no, I'm an ex-con. No one wants me. I can't go anywhere. He said, that's not true. He said, you go to any senior citizen home, go to any old folks home is what he called them. I right. know it's not the PC term for right. it, but he said, go to an old folks home anywhere, go to the front desk, ask them for a list of people that never get visitors. Mm. They're going to give you a long list because right. so many people have forgotten in those places. And he said, go spend your weekend visiting people that hadn't had a visitor in 10 years and come back and tell me how you feel about your life. Randy, I did wow. it on a Saturday and Sunday wow. and it changed my worldview. Because there I was, and with this old analogy that I heard in an AA meeting one time, somebody said, if we could all throw our problems onto a pile, and then we could walk up to that pile and we could grab anybody's problems we want, you know what we would do? We'd grab our own problems and throw them back <laughs> over our shoulder. When you see what other people are struggling with, you'd be thankful for your own problems. But the way to get out of your own way is to find ways to help other people deal with their struggles. Oh, life. man. So true. You know, we talk to people on the show here all the time that have uh, have given up on life initially, and maybe you're facing some kind of a critical, horrible injury. And we talk to them all the time because they have turned that around, Damon, to where they are serving. And that was the only thing that saved them. And, and you, and you know, you, you talk about, and we'll get into uh, suicide uh, later on, but I mean, obviously they thought about that from, uh, from their perspective. I mean, you, you lose an arm, you lose a leg, you lose uh, you, you have uh, invisible injuries and all these kind of things. And to come back from those to serve others, that's what heals you. And that's what heals these people. And we tell that story all the time. But let's get back to your story here, okay? So so you're breaking into homes. Uh, they, they, they catch you. Uh, the SWAT team, is that right? SWAT team in Dallas on July 30th, 2008, a day I'll never forget. I, I'm on the couch. I'm smoking meth with my meth dealer, this guy named Tex. And look, and... And I know the heat's coming because 10 days before this, my partner in crime, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department over a stolen car. Mm. They got my partner in crime in custody. Right. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me. And the flashbang grenade comes through the window. I try to get out of there as fast as I can. Too late. Boom. It blows up in my face. And I, when I came to, when I could see it here again, there's a, a, a SWAT team officer, full SWAT riot gear, boot on my chest, barrel of an AR-15, digging in my eye, his fingers over the trigger, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, don't move, don't move. Uh, Randy, I screamed back at him, don't worry, don't worry. You know? so, and it's like, yeah, man, you got no a gun problem. in my eye. You got an automatic in my eye. So they take me to jail, they arrest me that day, and they put me in a holding cell, and about 24 hours after that, they, they put me in general population in the worst pod they could find. I mean, the city of Dallas is mad at me. Randy, I've been terrorizing Dallas for three years, committing these burglaries oh, wow. with impunity. And, and they've got me. They finally got me. They called me the up the Uptown Burglar. That's a name. You had a name. Yeah, that's it, it was a very high profile case. The Uptown Burglary wow. Crime Spree was for the Uptown neighborhood of Dallas. And it was really Dallas's pet project. It's their, their big gentrification project to attract other industry into the city of Dallas. They cleaned up the entire area of Uptown. And there I was messing up all that because I am a bad guy. I'm breaking into people's houses. And People start getting scared. That's what I did. I mm. put fear into people, mm. Randy. That's something I'll never be able to change. People were scared to move into the uptown area of Dallas. And when they finally got me, they look at this lineup of about 12 other men, because about 12 of us involved, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, right. male, female, because drugs and addiction do not discriminate. Hmm. That's one thing we know with this audience is listening to this right now. We Drugs don't discriminate. Addiction doesn't discriminate. But they look at this lineup of all dozen of these meth addicts and they find the one guy that sticks out like a sore thumb. Hmm. The guy that was the Division I starting quarterback. The guy wow. that was a, a congressional aide. The guy that was working for a presidential campaign. The guy that was a stockbroker. Different background than all these other other people. Who, that who can we make them. an example of? Who's the leader? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I become, Randy, because here's the deal. I had a teacher in third grade. She told me, Damon, you're a leader. And you're going to either lead people the right way or the wrong way, but the choice is going to be yours. And there I was in that holding cell, the quarterback of a bad team now, but they got me and they put me in general population, worst pod they could find. And, you know, I'm in there for 24 hours. I'm in my, in my first fight over a breakfast tray, scared to death. And all I want to do is talk to my mom, and my dad. So I talked to my mom, and my dad on the phone. And my mom basically tells me, you're now a captive audience to God and you better start listening to God. I, I love, I love your mom. Oh man, she's she's incredible. She's man. a rock she, star, yeah. You know, she reminded me, 
she said, baby, we can't save you. God can save you. She said, and she reminded me of this prayer plaque that I had on my wall as a kid. And it was a serenity prayer. And she, oh, sure. I mean, not the serenity prayer. I mean, the footprints in the sand. Oh, yeah, yeah, It was yeah. footprints in the sand. Yeah. She said, and she said, reminded me of footprints in the sand. And she told me the story of footprints in the sand again about a guy walking on the beach with God. And she said that whenever I saw one set of footprints, that that was when God was carrying me. You. And she said, she said, look, there's only one set of footprints in a jail cell. They're not yours. Get on God's back. I don't mm. want to lose my son. Mm. But, but Randy, I wasn't ready for that. And, and I, because I'm still an addict in my disease of addiction. All I could think about for the 10 months while I was in Dallas County Jail was getting out and getting high. That's where my focus wow. was because that's, what's, that's what an addict does. We all obsess over that. Addicts, I would say addicts have a, three, a three-part thought process. Whatever your addiction is, you have a thought of doing whatever it is. Let's say it's for me, it's drinking or doing drugs. I would have a thought of drinking or doing drugs. Then I would obsess over drinking or doing drugs. And then I would put in and make it physical. Mm. Thought, obsess, mm. physical. That's what addicts do. And I was in Dallas County Jail thinking and obsessing, waiting for it to become physical. I thought I would get probation. I've never been in trouble. Right. I'm a white middle right. class guy. I've got two paid attorneys. I'm getting off when I go to this trial. Are, are you scared at this point? I, I, I don't think I'm actually grounded to reality at this point okay. because I'm not frightened like I should be. I mean, I would and, be, uh, I, I would be terrified. I'd just be terrified. Yeah, you know, but I mean, I'm scared because of the environment that I'm in. But I don't see what's coming on the horizon because I think I'm going to get off because all my life, Randy, gotcha. I've been able to get off. Yeah. All my life, I've right. been able to talk my right. way out of stuff. Right. I've been slick. I've been smooth. And I was going to get my way out of this one. And my parents even went and it, and they cashed in their their, their retirements mm. to get me this legal help, man. This is, man, wow. I tell you, my parents are amazing people. Yeah. So May 18th, 2009, I'm standing in front of a jury in Dallas, and the jury, these 12 men and women in this jury box, they listened to a six-day criminal trial. Now, six days is a long trial, yeah. Randy, for crimes that were non-aggravated. No one was ever right, home, and never right. saw my victims. No one got hurt. No weapons were used. These are property crimes around meth. But at the end of that six-day trial, the evidence was so overwhelming of my guilt, and I'm guilty of everything mm. they put in front of that jury, and the jury hates my guts. And why wouldn't they hate my guts, Randy? Sure. Because in front of them is a guy that had it all, man, had everything, every advantage, every privilege, every opportunity, and blew through all of it. And they went to deliberate that day for 10 minutes on my phone. Oh, wow. Dude, 10 minutes, man. I don't know how much law and order y'all watch. You're right. Your <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's not good. But man, if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, it yeah. means they smoked you. And I came back into the courtroom and, and my second, I had two lawyers, the second chair of counsel. Her name was Karen Lambert. She said, get ready. It's going to be bad. I'm like, how bad, Karen? And she said, well, you were gone for that brief 10 minutes. The jury sent a note into the judge from the jury room and wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Oh, my gosh. Randy. Oh, my gosh. Randy, life without parole is a capital punishment. These are crimes reserved for people that have, that have killed someone in the act of another crime, that have, yeah. that have hurt a child in a way. These aren't capital crimes. No, I never even saw my victims, man. And I'm like, Karen, that's crazy. That's not even the same kind of kind of crime. There's got to be some jealousy there too, Damon. Uh, I mean, for, on the part of the uh, jury, because they all aspired to the life you had. You had oh, it all. I mean, there's no there's no doubt, Randy. Yeah. And I saw that you know not just in in, in that situation, but in in prison too, man. And, and and I don't blame anybody for that because man, I did. I had to, I was a yeah. poster child for a uh, poster child for a privileged life. I had it all, man. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I didn't work hard for some of the things I had, but I was born into a better situation than most people were ever born into. And so that, that had to factor into that, uh, that decision. So what did they say? That, well, that, and also the arrogance that they saw of the guy ah. in, front of, in front of them. Now look, man, in my trial, you know, you talk about, was I scared? Dude, in Dallas County Jail, I'm on the phone I'm having a telethon, basically. I'm trying to raise money from the dope world of people that owe me money from different dope deals and burglary oh, jobs. Wow. And the cops are going and picking these people up left and right. I'm the dumbest criminal you'll probably <laughs> ever talk to in your life. Did man. you did you testify in your trial? Yeah, through those phone recordings. Oh, I was oh, no, okay, I, was, okay, I never I gotcha. took a stand in my own trial, but they played back those jailhouse recordings uh, of me giving people orders. You owe me this money, you owe me that money. Come get me out of here. And it sounds like a mob boss, 
It does. Running his crew. Yeah. It does. It does. And that's what they called me. They called me things like the Al Capone of Dallas, the Tony Soprano of Dallas. But Randy, it wasn't like that. The reality is, is I'm a meth addict. I'm the head of this organized crime ring, but I have nothing to show for, for all my, the, right. all my burglaries I've done. I smoked everything I got. Right. Right. I'm just a drug addict breaking into people's house. I'm the head of the whole thing. But they painted it like I was some sociopath breaking into people's houses and sitting on all the profits of this, the the ill-gotten gains mm. of my crimes. But the reality is I don't have any ill-gotten gains. Right. I can't even afford an attorney, but I can't tell them that unless I take the stand. So I don't take the stand. My lawyer advised me against it. And the only time they ever hear from Damon West is jailhouse recordings. And the evidence is overwhelming. I'm telling you, man, I was an arrogant. I was a bad guy. And but, the jury, but, you, but like you say, you've never served time. So are you still thinking, even at this point, that it's, it's not going to be that bad? Yeah, I mean, I think the worst I'll get is because burglary really is a 20-year maximum yeah. offense. But when they tack on the organized crime and the mastermind uh, charge, that means it can go up to life. You, your, mm. your punishment range goes from, from zero to life now. Wow. And so when she tells me they wanted to give me life without parole, I'm starting to realize <laughs> this is going to be very bad. Yeah. And the judge gaveled the court back in. He hadn't smiled the entire trial. Now he's grinning from ear to ear. And he reads the verdict out. He says, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Randy, 65 years in Texas is a life sentence. They Mm. stop. The the state of Texas stops calculating your time on the timesheet at 60 because you can't do more than 60 Mm. years in a prison. You have to be 17 to go to prison. You can't do more than 60 years. How old are you at this time, Damon? 33 years old. 33. Facing 65. 33 facing 65. I'm looking at getting out when I'm 98 years old if I oh do day God. for day of that. Wow. If I do day for day of that. Right. And the the jury, man, it, it just, man, they, they maxed me out that day. And you know what? There was a time in my life when I held a resentment against the judge in my sure. case because the judge was a guy named Mike Snipes. I used to hang out with Mike Snipes because you used to go drinking with him on we had a, a, a mutual friend that had a yacht. We would go drinking in the late 90s together. I expected some kind of privilege or favoritism from my you, old buddy. You even Mike knew Snipes. the judge? Knew the judge. Ah. And you know what? This guy hammered me left and right. And I had a resentment for a long time against the judge. But I'm going to tell you what I learned in my program recovery that I think this would be helpful for your audiences. As I learned this axiom in life that whenever I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me. When I hmm. am disturbed, hmm. there's something wrong with me. And what that means is this. Every problem that I have in my life, I play a role somewhere in there. And that's the part that I can work on. The only part that I can change is me. Hmm. So my resentment to Judge Snipes, I had to work on that in my program recovery. I had to do a personal inventory. And my personal inventory makes me take every single resentment I have and find the role that I play in it and work on that part. So I, I plug in Judge Snipes. And I'm like, all right, Judge Snipes, you know, I, I go and I get 65 years in this court and I, I, I got to figure out what part of my life that sentence affects. Because there's three basic instincts that we make all of our decisions off of in life, Randy, our instinct for social to be accepted in society, for security, to have financial security, family security. These kind of things are important for us and our instinct for sex. And I'm not, not talking about sex in a, a promiscuous way. I'm talking about sex in, in a relationship kind of way. You know, we all have these desires as human beings. These three core instincts drive all of our human behavior. Hmm. And I plug in Judge Stipes, and I'm like, this verdict, this 65 years, what basic instincts did that, did that affect? Security? You bet it did. I got sentenced to life in prison. Right. Acceptance in society? Knock that one out of the park, too. Yeah. Because now I'm, I'm an ex-con, and I'm on, you know, I'm always going to be an ex-con. Your desire for sex and relationships? You bet. It got that because I'm, now I'm in prison. Gone. And Judge Snipes was a resentment that I carried around that touched all three of those things. But then the last column of a personal inventory, what role do you play, Damon? Mm. The role that I played uh, was a drug addict. I broke into people's houses. I committed crimes. I broke the social contract that we have in society, mm. the social contract that says that we can enjoy all these things that go into society as long as we follow the rules. I broke that. And because I broke that, I put myself in this man's courtroom and I allowed him and a jury to give me whatever sentence they wanted to because I chose to break the law. Wow. And that, now that my powerful. resentment to Judge Snipes was gone. 
My person, Randy, I work a personal inventory. Anytime something's bothering me, I work a personal inventory. And look, man, you're in America right now. America right now, we are filled up. We are bottled up with hate yep. right now in this yep. country. And it comes from the left. It comes from the right. But I've got to take a step back and, and separate myself from that. And when I'm disturbed about something, I ask myself, hey, what, what role do I play? Because hmm. I'm going to work on that part. Because we don't do that. We, I mean, nobody does that. It, no, it, it, no it's it's all their fault. It's all your fault. It's all, uh, I, I don't want to hear what you say because you're wrong. I, I know you're wrong before you even open your mouth, but that is, that is so wonderful. What role do I play in that? Uh, and, and uh, you know, be a coffee bean is the sign behind you. And this is such a great story. I want you to get to that here in uh, in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, so let's let's get to that because that's really, the meat of this thing. Yes. That's where your audience is really going to grab onto something today that they may never have heard before, but they can take with them because anybody that's five to 95 years old picks this message up and runs with it. So my parents have made me promise that I will not get into one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood gangs. My mom's like, you you were never raised to be a racist. Right after your sentencing, she said that. Right after my sentencing. Yeah. And five minutes after I'm sentenced to life in prison, my mom is laying it down. You're not getting one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs. And she's telling me that. She's like, Damon, you were never raised to be a racist. And you know, she understands that racism and hate comes from within and it, it, it eats you up. Hate corrodes the container it's contained in. And she hmm. doesn't want someone to come back to her filled with hate. Cause she tells me you weren't raised to be like that. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back to us at all. No tattoos, Randy, no hate groups, nothing, no tattoos. She said, no gangs, no tattoos. And I mean, I, I show people my arms all the time, man, no tats <laughs> after almost yeah. 10 years in prison. So in Dallas County jail, I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before black, white, Asian, Hispanic, how will I survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, man, they said the same thing. You have to get into a gang. I won't survive without a gang. They told me that's just, you can't survive without a gang. But there was this one guy, this older black man in Dallas County Jail named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson pulls me aside every day. He's a, he's a real positive guy. He, he fills me up with positive energy every day. He's a, he's a light in a, dark, in a dark place. And one morning he tells me, he's like, you know, West, I've been watching you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies talking about you got to get into a gang. He said, don't listen to these fools. He said, if you want to keep that promise you made to your mom and your dad, then here's how you're going to survive. He said, prison is like a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in this pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. <laughs> So here's where I first heard the story of the coffee bean, the story that the, the message that's spreading all over the world right now yeah. of be a coffee bean. Here's where I first heard it, Randy, Randy, in the summer of 2009 in Dallas County Jail. So he said, first things first, Wes. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? I'm like, well, the, the carrot's going to turn soft, Mr. Jackson. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes in the water hard, but the water, the prison turns a hard carrot, soft, mushy, and weak. And I think your audience can relate to this right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. Because we've all been the carrot before. And that's what he tells me. He said, you're going to be the carrot. It's okay to be the carrot, but you can't get stuck there. He said, the egg. What happens to the egg in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And I'm like, well, Mr. Jackson, the egg is going to turn hard, man, like a hard-boiled egg. <clears throat> he said, that's right, West. He said, the egg has a shell that protects it physically. But inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart. Has become hard. He said, if your heart becomes hard and you're incapable of giving or receiving love, and he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize wow. because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So then he asked me, Randy, he said, what about the coffee bean? What happened to the coffee bean and the pot of boiling water we call prison? And, and Randy, I didn't have an answer from Mr. Jackson. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. And that's when Mr. Jackson, a man that looked nothing like me, didn't come from the same America that I came from, didn't believe the same things I believed in life fundamentally or spiritually. Man, this is a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas. Wow. I'm a white Catholic guy wow. from a little bitty town called Port Arthur. But this man, so different than me, shared with me one of the most important and transformational message I've ever received. And, and Randy, I tell people all the time, the moral to that is this, 
if you ever shut yourself off to someone because of their differences, different race, different gender, right. absolutely, religion, sexual orientation, if we close ourselves off to people because of their differences, then we're going to miss some of the most important lessons and some of the best friendships in this life. Yes. Because Mr. Jackson told me that day, he said, if I put a coffee bean in that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now, now you got to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of the three things, he said small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. Because the power was inside the coffee bean, he said, just like the power is inside of you. And he told me, he said, everything else is changed by the water. Carrots are changed by the water. Eggs are changed by the water. Not the coffee bean. He said, the coffee bean is the only thing that will change the water. And he told me everybody in life, we all put out energy, negative or positive. And whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's the law of attraction, Randy, and it works. He's telling me. Are you, you, are, you think, are you thinking Mr. Jackson is crazy at this point? No, man. I, but, but what I'm thinking is, is that how am I going to do this? I don't yeah. understand how am I going to do that. And, and he's telling me the last four words he ever tells me are the four words you see behind me. Be a coffee bean. Right before the prison bus comes to pick me up to take me to serve a life sentence at one of the toughest maximum security prisons in Texas, one of the toughest prisons in America. And remember, from my introduction, I can tell you a lot about tough prisons in America, because since I got out of prison six and a half years ago, I went back to school and got a master's in criminal justice. Today, Randy, I'm a teacher. I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown. Wow. I teach a class called Prisons in America at one of the biggest universities in America. I'm the only professor in the world that ever lived in a prison <laughs> and teaches about prison. Well, and the other thing, Damon, that Mr. Jackson told you was uh, about fighting, right? That's right. He told me, he said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight and you did, all your fights. And you did once you got to prison. I mean, you fought, if not every day. I mean, you, you always had a fight coming, right? Yeah, the first two months. The first two months was the biggest baptism by fire. And, 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 but Jackson was right. He told me to expect what to expect. I might have to fight the white gangs first. After the white gangs would come the black gangs. And I had to survive all of that to earn my right to walk alone. And Jackson was spot on, man. It took two weeks of constant fighting with the white gangs. And I lost most of my fights, Randy. After it was the white gangs for two weeks, then it was the black gangs, just like Jackson said it would be. And I lost most of my fights, but I won all of these fights because I kept showing up. Jackson told me, you don't have to win your fights, but you have to fight your fights. Never been something truer said in life. That means that some days we're going to win. And some days, we're going to lose. That's a fact of life. Losing is okay. It's not something you aspire to, but it's something you know is going to happen. But when you lose, what lessons do you learn and do you pick yourself back up? How long does it take you to pay back up? And, and I learned I got a little bit stronger, a little bit better. I learned two things about adversity when I was going through this first two months of prison. One is adversity is never as bad as I think it's going to be. Right. And I'm always capable of way more than I think I am. You see, because as human beings, we tend to let overthinking get in the way of overcoming these obstacles in life. So, Damon, did you ever think about suicide? Yeah. Now, Randy, that's where I was getting to the story right there, too. Perfect timing, because here's what happened. About six weeks into prison, I'm fighting the black gangs at this point, and um, it was on a Friday. I got jumped by four guys, and I'm a broken man. I'm done. And Saturday morning, I wake up, and I've got a plan. My plan is this. I'm going to go to the church service that they have in the chapel. They call it the Chapel of Hope in prison. I'm going to the Chapel of Hope, but I'm hopeless because once I get done with my church service, the Chapel of Hope, I'm going to come back to my bunk and I'm going to hang myself. I'm going to kill myself mm. that morning in prison. I'm done. I'm tapped out. I'm done. So I go to the church service. I've got my sheet ready to go in my bunk. I go to the church service and I'm sitting in this church service. There's 200 other inmates in there with me and I'm standing there, just dead serious look on my face. And I feel a tap on my shoulder and I look over and it's this little volunteer chaplain lady named Ms. D. And Ms. D is like a little 84-year-old lady. She walks hmm. with a cane. She taps me on the shoulder. She said, Mr. West, come with me. So I follow Ms. D to her office. And when we get into her office, she sits me down. She says, Mr. West, I can see that something's bothering you today. She said, what's wrong? Tell me what's bothering you. Now, Randy, I'm floored. I'm like, man, What's bothering me? I mean, there's 200 guys right, in the chapel. Right. Something's bothering everybody in that room, man. How does she pick me out of this right. room? Everybody's struggling in that room, man. We're in prison. But she picks me. So I unload on her. I start crying, and I tell her, Ms. D, I can't take anymore. I can't do this. And I told her what my plan was, that I'm going to kill myself. I'm done. And she said, Ms. West, she, she was real calm. She said, you can't kill yourself. She said, you can't give up on God. 
And the minute she mentioned God, Randy, I, mean, I, I was like, what do you mean God? How can God create a place so wicked and evil and sinister? It's this prison that I live in right here. And she was just real calm. She said, Mr. West, you're not the first person to question God. You, you won't be the last. She said, the Bible is full of people that question God, but they all came back to God because they learned what the secret to faith was. And I'm like, Miss D, I need to know what that secret of faith is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she said, it's this. She said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. She said, you can't have it both ways, Mr. West. She said, you're either going to let God drive the car or you're going to drive the car. She said, but the last time you drove it, you parked it in a maximum security prison. Mm. So choose who gets those keys, but choose wisely. And, you know, she told me what she had learned about suicide. She's a volunteer chaplain on a maximum security prison. Right. People kill themselves all the I'll time bet. I'll bet. in prison. Yeah, it's, people check out a lot in prison. Suicide becomes a viable option for some people. She said, but here's what happens when suicide becomes a viable option for any person. She said, that person has left the reality of their situation, of the problems that they're in, and they go into what she calls this seemingly hopeless world. And she said the key word in this was seemingly, mm -hmm. because it only seems hopeless. And when life seems hopeless, you have to take a step back and pull yourself out of that because life is never hopeless. There's always hope, Randy. And that's what she's telling me. She said, right now, you don't see that because you're sucked in the seemingly hopeless world and you've lost all hope. But there I am sitting in the chapel of hope. And she restores that in me. She lets wow. me know that no matter what it is I'm going through, that there's always hope. And you know what? She was right. Imagine if I'd have gone that day and killed myself, then I would not have just deprived you know, myself of the life that I was potentially capable of. Right. But all the other people in life that I've been able to positively Ab impact on absolutely. the way is coffee me message. And I would tell your audiences, everybody out there, you have this power to impact life in ways you can't even imagine. And that life is not so much about you. It's about what you can do for other people. Life doesn't happen. As Ed Milet says, life doesn't happen so much to you as it happens for you. Yes. Even the biggest obstacles that happen in life, there's an opportunity on the other side. You know, Ed said something when, when I was with him the other day. He said, on the other side of the adversity is the best version of you, but you have to go through that adversity to meet Absolutely. Well, I, we, I, got, I got a pastor that always has a great, uh, a, a great saying. He says, you always got to remember the, the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. And people, everybody's so short-sighted. And Damon, I love the fact that you're talking to this audience about how they can positively impact uh, because there are a lot of people, I think, that get into situations that say, I, I can't be of use to anybody. I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. And what you say is turn your mess into a message, right? Absolutely. And, and what I would say to all those people is like, look, it's okay to think that, man, I, there's no way that I have that potential inside me. But I'm going to tell you, we all have that potential inside us. A good story about this from one of my favorite people, Randy, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. Show oh, yeah. We all love Mr. Rogers. <laughs> right. Even if I get into a crowd at a military base and, you know, you, you got alligator arms. I'm like, <laughs> Does anybody ever watch Mr. Rogers? And, you know, yeah. but, so, but I know these guys, I know these men and women watch Mr. Rogers. But before Mr. Rogers was Mr. Rogers, the children's television show guy, he was a Presbyterian minister in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And right. he told a story about something that happened one time when he was at church. He said he went to a church service one Sunday. And they had a substitute preacher that was in town. And this substitute preacher gave a sermon that day. And at the end of this guy's sermon, Mr. Rogers thought to himself, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said it was the worst <laughs> preacher he'd ever seen. He said this guy was terrible, Randy. He said everybody was passing out in their pews, falling asleep because the guy was so boring. <laughs> and just as Mr. Rogers was about to turn to this little old lady that was sitting next to him and tell her how terrible this guy was, he stopped. He bit his tongue. Because the little old lady sitting next to him was bawling and crying. She was in tears. And she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. She said it was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time in my life. And she said, I'll never forget where I was this day that I heard this beautiful man's sermon. Well, Mr. Rogers was floored, Randy. <laughs> because obviously the entire congregation doesn't believe, doesn't agree with this one woman. But you cannot deny what you see. And he saw that this man impacted this woman's life in a way 
that he couldn't even imagine. And he realized that everybody has this power inside them to impact at least one human life in a way mm. that we may not even imagine sometimes. Everybody has that power. But he learned another very important lesson that day, Randy. He learned that while he was coming in judgment, mm. that little old lady was coming in need. In need. I mean, and, and that's what we, when we get out of ourselves and we look for, for people that are in need, you know, Randy, the three hardest words for a human being to say to another human being, I need help. I right, need right, help. And I right. want your audience to hear that because that's the three hardest words for people to say. But when we can become vulnerable enough to ask for that help, the help is out there waiting for us because so many people are looking for someone in need. And that's what being a servant leader is all about. Especially when you're a warrior. When you're a warrior, you don't need help, Damon. Yeah. Hey, you're the man that made it happen. I'm out that's there saving people. I don't need help. I'm not going to ask for help. And that's, that's uh, I'm so glad you said that because so many times that comes up with, why didn't you tell somebody you needed help? Because I, I was a colonel. Because I was a general. I, I, I'm the guy that gives the help. And that's such a, a stigma even, even today. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to tell you something that I learned along the way, and I'll tell you who I learned it from. Vulnerability is a strength. There's a, it's being vulnerable. We, we think about vulnerability as being that it's there's so much love that. negative implication of, about it being weak. Vulnerability is not weak. Vulnerability is a strength. Because when we are vulnerable, when we let our guards and our defenses down, we allow other people to connect with us on ways that they can't do that unless we allow them in. But once we allow other people in, then they're vulnerable too. And we we get to form these bonds with other people and we connect with human life. You know, human beings at the core of being human, I'm going to tell you this from whenever I sat in prison and was around other inmates, at the core of being human, we all want two things. We want to belong and we want to be loved. That's what we mm. all want as human mm. beings. Even when I was sitting in prison, Randy, I, I thought to myself, man, there's no way I'll ever find someone that will love me because of the choices that I made. I'll never have a relationship right. that's real like that. And if I did find that person that would love me, Randy, there's no way their family is going to, somebody's going to have a problem with Damon right. West because of the bad choices that Damon made. Right. But I'm going to tell you something, man. This ring on my finger shows you that <laughs> man, man plans and God laughs. I know who you heard that from. That was from uh, Dabo Sweeney, right? Oh, man. Dabo has a lot of different, da we call them Daboisms. And, <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know if it was where I heard it from him at first. It was a Yiddish saying that I've, I've seen a couple of times before. But Dabo has certainly said a lot of that stuff before. Dabo and, and, is, and, he, and you've spoken to his team. You've spoken to uh, Nick Saban's team. I mean, you are sought after as a speaker. You uh, have a great book, uh, Be a Coffee Bean. So many great lessons in this. Uh, Damon, and, and the other thing that I, I, I love uh, what you're talking about here is that there are uh, so many other avenues that you can take in your life if you just sit down and really think about it and you open up to somebody else. I mean, you think about the people in your life. What if there had not been a Mr. Jackson? What if there had not been a Miss D? And, you know, God put these people uh, in front of you, and luckily you listen to them, but just think about if you had not, right? Yeah, you know, Randy, I tell people all the time, this is a very good point. I tell people all the time that in my life, I'll use an I statement. It's the best way for me to communicate. I, in my life, God has never just reached his hand down and put his hand on my head. And whatever you call God, by the way, because I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, sure. but not everybody's Christian. Right. Whatever you call it, God, God has never just reached his hand down on my hand, my head and said, hey, Damon, you're healed. Didn't work that way for me. Right. Let me tell you what God did in my life, Randy. He put people in my life. Yeah. And when I was younger, these people came in the form of teachers, they were coaches, they were my parents, they were people in the community of Port Arthur that helped raise me. When I got older, they took on the forms of different people. One of them was a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one was uh, a Hispanic bank robber from San Antonio named Carlos that saves my life in prison. Another one is Miss D in that prison chapel that day. But God was going to, God is going to send these different messengers in life to help guide you along the way but we have to be receptive to right. all of God's right. messages. We right. can't be picky and choosy about, well, I like the skin that, that this one's in, but I don't like the skin of that one or the background of that one. I, yeah. You have to accept the help of all of God's messengers. It's like that story that I heard this, this uh, about a, a guy's on, the, on, on his roof and the hurricane comes in and, and the water's rising and a guy in a boat comes by and says, hey, I'm here to save you. And the guy's like, no, I, I got it, man. God's going to save me. 
Guy on the boat goes on. Guy with a helicopter comes. Hey, man, come on. Hop on the helicopter. here to save you. And the guy's like, no, I have faith in God. God's going to save me. Well, the man drowns. And when he goes to the pearly gates and he gets to see God, and the guy's like, well, God, I can't believe I'm dead. I thought you were going to save me. He said, man, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. <laughs> you know, so that's the things that happen in life. These boats and these helicopters are coming to save us all the time. But they come in different packages. Right? Let, me, let me ask you about somebody that needs uh, that needed at one time saving to see if you've ever talked to him because uh, especially with Texas sports, Johnny Manziel. You ever talked to Johnny Manziel? Man, I never have. We, Johnny and I know some of the same people, and I've he's still playing football, about, by the way. Yeah, he's he's playing that kind of arena ball kind of right. kind of thing that he's doing right, right now. I've inquired of we we know some of the same people. I've inquired about meeting meeting Johnny, but it, it's never happened. Um, uh, I believe that, you know, Johnny and I can have a really good conversation. I'm, we have a I'm, lot of the same that, yeah. background. Um, and, and it all would really depend. And here's the thing that I want your listeners to hear, too. It all would depend if Johnny if Johnny's ready to listen to the message mm. or the messengers right. with the message. Because that's a, excuse me, that's the thing about free will is we have the free will to decide whether or not we want to be the best version of ourselves. No one's going to force us to right. be a coffee bean. No one's going to force you to be an egg. No one's going to force you to be a carrot. There's four things you have control over in this life. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. Mm. What you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. And it's not one of those four things. We really don't have control over that. And the part about what you do, your actions, your actions are so important. And that's where it is in life. That's where you meet your goals in life, your hopes, your goals, your dreams. By taking action. And if Johnny's ready to take action and, and would love to talk, I'd love to talk to him sometime. And everybody's at a different point in their journey. You know, it, it, that's easy to forget. Uh, whether it's your spiritual journey, your your educational journey, your physical journey, whatever, uh, your emotional journey, everybody's at a different point in that journey. And you can't assume that just because you are 62 years old, that that 62-year-old sitting beside you is exactly in the same place you are. Absolutely. And that that's it, it's so true. We are all on different parts of the road of life. And you know what? There's going to be some times when you go back to a part you've already traveled because right, you have a right. setback in life and that's okay. And that's and okay. Where you are today, Damon, man, I, I mean, it's just, uh, it's so uh, beautiful. I mean, so <laughs> your, your journey, your recovery, your continued uh, recovery and your service is just so uh, amazing to watch. I just want to thank you for the time today. Uh, I would encourage everybody to read your book, uh, to follow you, because, I mean, this is all, this isn't Damon stuff. This is human stuff, right? And this, especially for this audience, I would encourage you, anytime that you're feeling low, anytime that you think that your mission is over, it is not. And uh, check out Damon wherever he is. Thank Damon, thank you so much, man. This has been such an honor. Randy, thanks a lot. If you want to find me, you find me at DamonWest.org or Twitter and Instagram at DamonWest7. And my books are available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, wherever. Randy, thanks a lot for today because this audience is important to me. I want to thank your listeners for what they do for their service because, man, servant leadership is the secret to life. And you go into the service and you get a chance to serve on a different level than most people. Most people are not prepared to put it on the line. Less like than less than one percent. Less than one. Less than one percent. It's, it's it's an elite group that goes and serves this country in the military. And I want to thank everybody for their service and say, hey, look, you know what? Simply because you chose to do that, you're capable of doing anything you want to do in life. I don't care what life throws at you, how you get knocked down. You chose to serve, and you went and got the best training in the American Armed Forces. You can do anything you want. You can be a coffee bean. Yeah, you you can. Uh, thank you for your service, but you got more service. You got more service yeah. to do. You got more to give. Yeah, you got more to give. We all got more to give. Keep giving it. Hey, you're great, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so Randy, much. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you, brother. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.